All right, good morning, everybody. We all froze up in this piece in Boise, Idaho. Uh, you are listening to the Bodybuilding.com podcast, and for the first time, you're actually watching it as well. If that's your, if that's Ooh, your thing, you're into yeah. peeping, peeping podcasts. Oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm thoroughly, thoroughly striped. I'm Nick, uh, Nick Colius. I'm an editor at Bodybuilding.com. I'm also thoroughly surrounded. We have Chrissy Kendall, science editor at Bodybuilding.com, and. Wait, what? Who's that? It's Lane what? Norton over there. Who who let that guy in? <laughs> I think we're gonna have a science fight right here. Yeah, she's the yep. big beta alanine lobby. I don't know if she, no. she, she sold out to big beta alanine no. a long time ago. I'm more creatine. Big, big BA, huh? Big BA. Creatine has my heart. Uh, Lane needs no introduction to most of you uh, or many of you. He's a Cubs fan first and foremost. That's what he's known best for. Oh, Cubs. Uh, Record-setting powerlifter, natural bodybuilder, physique coach, PhD, chief dude at. Carbon by Lane Norton and Avatar Nutrition had a new study accepted yesterday. Yeah, yeah congratulations on you. that. Yeah, well, it took six years. Yeah, oh, I know, I know that feeling. <laughs> I, I just had my uh, dissertation published earlier this year. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I know that all. So I was well. like, why did it take so long? I'm like, oh, you know, like you get Stuff. working on making money once you graduate. <laughs> and, uh, sorry, just being real. Uh, <laughs> And then it just kind of takes a back seat. So it was like, and then Layman is uh, Professor Emeritus, so he's semi-retired. And so it'd be like, we do a revision, and then six months would go by, and we'd do another revision, and six months would go by. And so, you know, we started about three years ago really working on putting the manuscript together. And uh, But just goes to show how far ahead the research was at the time is it's still novel. So Yeah, that was, that was my that. question. It's like, okay, yeah, no, I don't, I don't believe this anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, it was a good study, but it was uh, very involved. We weren't really worried about many people replicating it because it had been very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So Okay, well, we'll dig into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's in, he's in town hanging out with bodybuilding.com. Did you shoot a video? Yeah, we did a, we did a, I don't know if I can say it, but we did a resolutions video. So, oh, nice. Uh, you guys can block that out if I... No, no, no. We're gonna, we're gonna. I don't know what's like top secret, you know. So we're an open book around here. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You also put up a really solid YouTube video yesterday. I saw about volume, which I thought was interesting. I wanted to dig into that a little bit and how some people kind of miss the point. Um. About about volume. Um. And I don't know. There was a there was a larger discussion in there just about making good decisions and applying a a good level of scrutiny to Uh, to what you do. I think the main thing that I see. In anything, uh, politics, finances, fitness, is context is completely lost on people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not good enough to ask a question. You have to put it in context. Mm-hmm. You know. So um, that was the training volume video was trying to to elaborate on that. And basically, I've had people recently. I'm I'm dealing with a, a few injuries, mm-hmm. and people have said, "Oh, well, see, your your training volume was a bad idea." It wasn't a bad idea. I won nationals twice, got a silver medal at Worlds, and set a world squat record at the time. So mm-hmm. for me, it was worth it. Maybe for you, it's not worth it. Maybe you just care about being healthy and being able to play with your kids. And there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. if that's your goal. But if your goal is to be the best you can possibly be at whatever sport it is, injuries are associated with that. But it also takes you have to train a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I knew that going in, and I made a conscious decision. So I think, and I talk about that with a lot of my clients, whether regards, whatever the goals are, fat loss, muscle gain, all those sorts of things that there has to be a, a, a very defined discussion about what your, what your expectations and your goals mm-hmm. are. And then that shapes how everything else works. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, especially at this time of year, people gravitate toward 
a little bit of magical thinking about these sort of things, right? You think oh, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. this is the I, this is the year I'm going to do this uh, this magical well, program. I'm going to do this magical diet, magical technique. Even even more, you know? if people ask me, well, should should I track uh, my macros during the holidays, like at meals, and I'm like, well, depends. Like, mm. you know, uh, if you if you don't want to, if you really just want to enjoy the time with your, there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you YOLO mm-hmm. and you just eat whatever, don't be surprised when you've put on 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, don't act like, like what you don't want to do is be completely mindless about it and say, well, I'd really like to stay lean, but I want to eat whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you don't get something for nothing. Right. You know what I mean? So having an idea say, but if you say, well, I'd like to maintain most of my leanness, but I'd also like to, you know, back off a little bit on mm-hmm. being so strict and you kind of have like some cognitive restraint in there. That's fine. But again, it's a discussion. And if you say, you know what, what I value is being lean as hell. Mm-hmm. And I don't really care about having dinner with, with, you know, I'll go to the, the, I'll go and be around my family, but I don't want to eat that food. Then that's fine too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, your values don't have to extend to other people and vice versa. So I think just, just but as long as you have prepared, that. prepared to explain yeah, it to grandma. <laughs> yeah, as long as you have that conversation and, you know, this is what I value and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you balance, I mean, because you work with kind of both spectrums. You worked with, or you work with currently and in the past with kind of the extreme of competing, uh, prepping on the top elite professional stage Versus, you know, just someone who either getting ready for their first show, uh, n- maybe not even a uh, bodybuilder, but also power lifter, completely mm-hmm. different diets. How do you, I mean, wrap your head around all of that? And because it's personalized, you don't do yeah. that cookie cutter. Here is your program, and I'm going to, you know, give everyone the exact same six ounces sort of chicken, thing. five almonds, <clears throat> and right? Three spears of asparagus, right? You can yeah. smell the cookie. Yeah. You can't eat. Shout out to you, all those online coaches yeah. out there. <laughs> you can chew the cookie, you just can't swallow it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a really big part of, of like talking with your clients and having, like, making sure that your expectations and their goals are, are the same. I mean, I've had people who are, you know, they want to lose 30 pounds in 12 weeks and they're maintaining their body weight on very low calories. And I have to explain to them, well, this is not a reasonable expectation for what you want, right? Here's what I think is reasonable. And I have to make sure that, okay, they're either going to meet, they're going to lower their expectations to match mine or we're not going to work together, Mm -hmm. right? right? Because the one thing you don't want is their expectation to be here, yours to be here, and you hit yours, but not theirs. And even though you did the best job you could, they're unhappy still, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a big part of it. And also, like I said, context. I mean, um, I'm a fan of moderation for the most part uh, in most of these situations because I think moderation makes you... I'll give an example. When I was younger in my 20s and bodybuilding was like my entire life and consumed me, um, you know, I would be trying to be like really strict during the holidays. And what would end up would happen is I would, uh, when I was not able to be strict, I would just YOLO and say screw it, you know what I mean, and go into hell with it mode and eat whatever I wanted. And for that, days on end or for just a uh, For a meal or, uh-huh. you know, that okay. sort of thing. But, I mean, anybody out there who says you can't gain body fat in one meal is they do not know what they're talking about. <laughs> I, I always do seminars. I'm like, how many people, you know, have heard that people say, oh, you can't gain body fat in one meal. I don't know where this came from, but, I mean, mm-hmm. people raise their hands. I said, how many of y'all know that's bullshit? And everybody raises their hand because they all know that, you know, 
you could go out and have a real big meal, be two or three pounds up the next day, and people say, oh, it's just water weight. Well, water doesn't stick around for a few months. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If it's water in a couple of days, it's gone. Right. You know? So, it's poop weight. <laughs> water or poop weight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, just the solution's coffee. Just drink exactly. some black coffee and you know, run it right through you. So, or as also affectionately known as poop juice. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that I found that if I allowed myself to relax a little bit, I actually became more adherent rather than less adherent mm -hmm. because I took those firm restraints off and it made it a little bit easier. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of flexible dieting. A lot of people know about that. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not because I want to eat candy and stuff all day. Mm -hmm. That's not why I'm a fan of flexible diet. I'm a fan of flexibility because it improves sustainability and improves consistency. That's why I'm a fan of flex flexibility for most people. Mm -hmm. If I thought that eating, quote unquote, clean foods was the best way to get to my goals and only do that, I would do that mm -hmm. because I'm all about my goals. But I also know that adherence is the probably the number one thing for success with regards to nutrition. And a lot of people just aren't honest with themselves about what they'll be able to adhere to. I mean, I, I see this all the time with people who are like, they're like, this is my last cheat meal ever as they're plowing stuff down <laughs> yeah. their face. You know, right. yeah. I'll never cheat again. Yeah. It's like you cheated three days ago. Like, stop yeah. it. You know, you need to set yourself, like stop setting yourself up for failure and start setting yourself up for success. Yeah. And I think we need to stop looking at you know, especially with like the obesity rates in this country, yeah. people go, oh, it's just willpower. People just don't have enough willpower. I, I think that's probably not true. Mm -hmm. I, I used to be one of those people. It's like people are just fat and lazy and they need to put the fork down. You know, there's definitely an element of that, you know, mm -hmm. but I think that that's a pretty simplistic way to look at a pretty complex problem. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we need to lower the barrier of entry to dieting. For people, mm, because a lot of people, they'll look at like their Fitspo mm -hmm. on Instagram, yeah. posting pictures of chicken and broccoli every yeah. day, right. and they'll go, "Well, I could never do that." So what's the point, mm -hmm. right? Well, no, that you don't have to do that. Like if you could just, you know, cut down a few hundred calories a day, mm -hmm. or get maybe you can't get in the gym two hours a day, but can you get in forty five minutes? It's better than zero, right? You know, one of my, uh, I think Les Brown said, "Start where you are with what you have." where you are right now, mm -hmm. Some, something to that effect. Or do what you can with what you have with where you are right now. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a, a huge thing to understand. And for some people, you know, I'm fortunate enough, I work from home. I've got, like if I want to go train three, four hours a day, I can go do that. Mm -hmm. right? Some people don't have that, 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 uh, that benefit. But, um, you know, I value being a high achiever in my sport. And some people say, well, you don't make any money from powerlifting. Why? Why is that? Because I want to. Mm -hmm. Because that's, I don't, you know, money, I can always make money, but how people get to say they went to a world championship and got a silver medal, mm -hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, having those conversations about, okay, what's important to you? I mean, I've even told people, I'm like, listen, I'm a libertarian. If somebody wants to be fat, if they're happy being fat, who am I to tell them, hey, you should lose weight? Right. I've met, we all know people in the fitness industry who are the most miserable people you've ever met who have unbelievable physiques, mm -hmm. right? Like, you look at when people go, oh my God, if I could just be you for a day. They're miserable. Like, they're, mm -hmm. they're a miserable human being to be around. Not not all of them. Not all of them. <laughs> not all of them. Most of them fine. You know, I have most of my friends in the fitness industry. But we all do know people who have great physiques mm -hmm. or a lot of money or pick whatever you're, whatever, or, uh, you know, some job that seems really attractive and people go, oh, I just wish I had their life. Right. No, well, well, 
I think at the end of the day, I like what John Lennon said mm-hmm. when his teacher asked him when he was like in fourth grade, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be happy. And she replied, you didn't understand the question. He said, you don't understand life. <laughs> right? So like that should be the goal, right? To be happy. So like I said, that's my long convoluted answer to your yeah, question. Yeah. It was like a finish to the question. Yeah. But, but yeah. If so, like I said, if somebody's happy being fat, who are you to tell them that they need to lose weight? Mm-hmm. Right? Or who are you to tell somebody what their goals should be? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, getting away from that and lowering the barrier to entry and stop being so fit shaming, fat shaming, like mm-hmm. who cares? Well, somebody else wants to do something. If they're not hurting you, why do you care what their goal is? Right. Uh, and I think the, the barrier of entry is an interesting way to put that when we're talking about macros too, because that is sort of a, that's the dividing line between, you know, uh, somebody who's yeah. like maybe a longtime bodybuilding.com reader. Yeah. Somebody who, like, what, what the fuck is macros? <laughs> mean, you know? Yeah. What is that? Um, but yeah. It's I, funny because even back, you know, like that was something, okay, I'll take credit for it. I was a big pusher on the forums of flexible dieting. We didn't call it back that back then. It was just people, it was like me, Alan Argon, and a few other people. And people would ask us, well, is this food okay? Mm-hmm. And we basically say, well, can you hit your macronutrient goals for the day? Then yeah, it's fine, mm-hmm. you know? And so it became like, if it fits your macros, because that's literally what we kept saying over and over, right? right? I think Aaron Eric Krenreich, uh, uh labeled that term and then that became later flexible dieting which was a little bit mm-hmm. you know they're the same things people think they're different for some reason they're the same things but um mm-hmm. yeah because you know lowering the barrier to entry and just sustainability and i really get tired of the you know i went to i did a phd in nutrition right so mm-hmm. i went to i went to school wanting to find magic foods right i wanted to find because if i did i'd be a i'd be piecing out because i'd be a multi-billionaire by now mm-hmm. if i found magic foods right but there aren't. There's really not. Is there's no good or bad foods. It's all just about context. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can eat too much of a quote unquote good food, right? And you there's certain amounts of bad foods that you can have and they aren't gonna hurt you. Mm-hmm. Right. But there so. aren't necessarily magic macros either. No, right? no, mm-hmm. for sure. And right. you know, like it could be easy to say, Oh yeah, no, this these numbers when I eat this it's my, it's a hundred percent accurate. I know exactly the macros of what I'm eating, but that's not really the case either, is it? No, I mean everything works on like a, a bell curve. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you can you can come up with um, this. Is actually, an interesting segue into uh, here's Pipology 101, mm-hmm. uh, my program Avatar Nutrition that I helped design, which is basically um, an, an artificial intelligence algorithm that we use to determine uh, macros for people based on their goals and body type and whatnot, mm-hmm. but when I was putting it together, I remember the, the guy who started it with me, it was originally just going to be like a calculator. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? I don't like calculators because I can come up with something that's going to work for about 60% of people. But based on what I know about Gaussian distributions and bell curves, there's going to be 40, 30 to 40% it's not going to work for. Right. Right? So what do we do for those people? So that's why we made it something to where, depending on how they would have to check in with weights and body fats and whatnot mm-hmm. and how they responded, the program then adjusted to them, right? Because I can, I always tell people, this is like training volume, mm-hmm. uh, same thing. So high carb, low carb, or high calorie, low calorie, it's all individual. Right. High calorie for me may be low calorie for somebody else, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Alberto Nunez, I don't know if you guys are yeah. familiar with him. Yeah. So Berto diets on like 4,000 calories <laughs> a day and he's like 170 pounds, right? I'm, 205 pounds, if I eat, and I'm more muscle mass than Berto, sorry Berto, um, if I eat 4,000 calories a day, I'm going to gain body fat, right? He can lose weight. So so again, there, there, it's not high calorie, low calorie, and you can just flow a 
blanket statement out there. Mm-hmm. It depends on the individual, right? Same thing with training volume. Um, I had to squat, get my squat volume up to about forty to 50,000 pounds a week for me to squat uh, 668 pounds mm-hmm. uh, at Worlds. Whereas my friend Ryan Doris, he got close to that and he his volume was like two-thirds of mine, mm-hmm. you know? So this is one of the things I tell people. It's like, you know, it's like genetics matter, you know, <laughs> they do matter. And, uh, as much will as you have, they do matter. But it doesn't mean you can't get better. It just means that, you know, you might have to work harder than the other person. And I hear people lament that all the time. And when I'll tell them, it's like, well, it's freaking life, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So Billy around the street was born and his family had $3 million saved. And you were born into a broke family. It don't mean you can't become wealthy at some point. It just means you're going to have me starting at the 20-yard line. He's starting at the 50. Mm-hmm. You can still get to the goal, you know? It's just a little more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I guess for me, the frustrating part, and you explained it well, is that you can look at someone and think, you know, you know, the example you gave with you and Alberto, and you see someone extremely, two extremely fit people and you think, okay, they must be dieting the same, training the same, completely different. Um, And you go on forums and everyone's like, okay, you've got to eat one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Doesn't matter what your training is, doesn't matter what your body size is. And we just give these absolutes all the time. And it just drives me insane. And no matter how many times you try to tell people, no, look at this literature, look at this research, and it's different. And, you know, we come from very similar academic backgrounds. And it's like we try to tell people, like, look at this and read this. And sometimes it just does, it goes through one ear and out the other. And trying to educate people and, open them up to experience kind of different sides of things. It just doesn't seem to connect or click or they only want to listen to one person or believe one thing or even going back to if it fits your macros, somehow that got spun to I can eat Pop-Tarts. And that became a big thing of, oh, if it fits your macros means I'm going to eat Pop-Tarts. That's not what it was originally about. And it like things get spun. That was so, kind of a proof of concept. Well, and you know? right, yeah. right. And I get that. But it's like we take these one thing, and I get where this one gram of protein, one gram of protein per pound of I get where it came from. But it was like one small thing, and then it became this end all be all. Like yeah. everyone has to do this. And if you're gonna follow that one thing, you've got to do that right. Or the same thing could be said about carbs or fat or depending on what diet you're gonna do or t- what training program you're gonna do. Or if you want us to have this sort of success, you've got to do this sort of program, yeah. this sort of thing. How do you, when you work with people and you have a new client, how do you get them to not necessarily change what they're gonna do? I mean, maybe depending on where they're starting from, where they wanna go, but to shift kind of their focus or the way that they think? Um, or can you even do that? I mean, can you get them to um, maybe rethink some of their old training habits, nutrition habits, and then the way that they process? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, what, one thing I think that's apparent when, when you were talking is, you know, when you do uh, a higher education, like graduate school or PhD, one thing is it humbles you yeah. at a certain point. Like you realize, wow, I'm an idiot. Yeah, um, for sure. I don't know hardly anything. Not, I know, I know, a, get that education yeah. I know a little bit about, about. My, the, my corner of the universe. What do they call it? The Dunning-Kruger effect or whatever, where it's like, it's like basically the effect is if you have no knowledge, you know that you have no knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the most dangerous person is the person who has a little bit of knowledge because your confidence level is very high. Mm-hmm. And then as you learn more, your confidence level goes down, mm-hmm. right? And then you get to a point where it starts to go back up, right? So that's that PhD area, yeah. right? Yeah. But, you know, we've, we've been either, I, I remember the first time I went to uh, uh, present an experimental biology 
uh, this was in 2008, and I got reamed by a professor. I mean, just absolutely. I knew what I was talking about, but I couldn't, I hadn't had that experience of verbal jousting with somebody who was very intelligent. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it was like jab, jab, left hook, uppercut, Mm -hmm. you're out, you know? And I remember thinking, I never want that experience again. So it made me get better, you know? And it also going through those, uh, being challenged, you know, my advisor, Dr. Lehman was really good about that, about challenging everything I believed, you know, and it made me, it humbled me mm-hmm. in terms of realizing that context is so important, right? And that's basically what I was trying to say is you understand the importance of that because of doing a higher education like that. And I think one of the things in terms of working with clients, like how do I get them going on the right path first off it depends on the client and their goals right so if it's if it's if it's somebody who's like your average joe for lack of a better term and they just want to lose some body fat they just want to look better they just want to be healthy mm-hmm. i'm going to try and mess with their stuff as little as possible mm-hmm. because i if i blow up their lifestyle if they're used to going to mcdonald's three times or two times a day and then cooking dinner at home or whatever or, you know, they're they're used to just living this complete, like what we would think is an unhealthy lifestyle. And I'm just going to throw at them, all right, well, I need you to cook four egg whites and two whole eggs in the morning. Um, I need you to have a salad for lunch. And that, like, they're not, it, it's not, they might follow it for a few days or maybe even a week, but eventually they're just, they're going to go, you know, my friend, uh, Dr. Corey Probst, she has a, I recommend you guys check out her YouTube videos. Um, she's great. She's the uh, director of wellness at the Diet Doc. Uh, which is owned by my friend, Dr. Joe Klumzetsky. And Corey has a PhD in psychology. And I think she puts it really well. She goes, you know, it's not like your willpower all comes from the same place. It's not like you have Mm -hmm. willpower for your kids and willpower for your spouse and willpower for your job and willpower for your diet and willpower for your training. They're all separate bubbles. It's all from the same Mm -hmm. pot, right? So when do we find ourselves like really having trouble adhering to a plan? It's when we're stressed out and the holidays are here. Mm -hmm. Hey, what do you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and and uh, so we had a death in the family, and you know work is work is piling up, and all this kind of stuff. So, do we want a plan that requires the maximum amount of willpower, or do we want something that requires the minimum amount of willpower? So I've always said I want something that requires the minimum amount of willpower. Somebody can stick to it. Now, if they can go and cook every single meal and pack their meals and take them and all that kind of stuff, sure, great. But we need to be able to have something that they can stick to even when everything goes to shit, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's where I start for that person. Now, if I'm dealing with an elite athlete, that's a little bit different, right? Now, because that last 1% or 2% starts to make a difference. That's why when people ask me about supplements, like a lot of people say, there's a really big backlash to supplements right now. It's, supplements don't help at all. You just you don't need supplements at all, which is true. You don't need because by definition – need is a requirement. You don't require, you don't need supplements. But to sit there and say that there's absolutely no benefit to any supplements out there, that's just wrong. Mm -hmm. That's just completely wrong. And maybe for the person who's just looking to get their, get themselves, get their life together, you know, lose 30, 40 pounds, maintain that and be healthy, Maybe and and they don't have a lot of extra cash to spend. Maybe it doesn't make sense for them to buy supplements. I'm never going to sit here and tell somebody, oh, don't pay your health insurance or rent because I, I need you to go out and buy creatine. You know what I mean? Like I no. Would. <laughs> 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 her apartment <laughs> crates and crates. But if you know if it's if it's if you've got the extra cash and it's something that's important to you mm-hmm. and you're a competitor, those sorts of things. 
then yeah, then you make that call of what's important to me and what am I willing to 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 give up or sacrifice to get to that. Mm-hmm. Sure, and that and that can definitely apply to training too, right? And we're talk, talking about volume. You can, you can kind of have two approaches. I heard you outline recently in a video, basically the max recoverable volume yeah. or the minimum effective dose. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to think of like you know PH3. That's a high volume program. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, a beginner might approach that and think like, well, I can do it just because I've got, I want it so damn bad. It's funny. Actually, I had somebody reach out to me and they're like, oh, well, I tried pH three and, uh, I made good progress on it, but then I backed off to a lower volume program and I made better progress. So obviously, you know, low volume works better for me. No, Mm -hmm. you weren't ready for pH three. That was the difference. pH three is not for the person who just started lifting. Mm -hmm. It's not even for the person who's intermediate. In fact, as Chrissy knows, I wanted the Wilkes entry score to be 350, mm-hmm. not 300. Oh, I recall that. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and the guys, at the big wigs at Bodybuilding.com said, came back and said, there's nobody at the office that really fits these requirements. <laughs> That's so true. So we feel like we need to relax them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so no problem. We relax them. And obviously people have had great success with it. The average increase, we did a statistical analysis of over a survey of 100 people. And the average increase on... Um, the three lift total over 13 weeks is over 100 pounds. And that includes women put on an average of almost 80 pounds on their total. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Men was like 114, something like that. Women actually responded better to it than Mm -hmm. men did, pretty interestingly. Um, But my my fear was I knew I was going to have people who were just beginners who were going to start this. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the, the hard part about the program too is we tried to make it flexible, you know, with AMRAPs and that changing how that, affected your next week's setup of weights. But at the end of the day, it is a little cookie cutter. You know, you can't be completely flexible with it. And, you know, people say, oh, Lane, do you do pH 3? Well, the concepts that are in pH 3, I absolutely use. But do I use that specific program? Mm -hmm. No, when I was getting ready for Worlds, that program would actually be too low volume for me. Now, that doesn't mean it's low volume for everybody, right? right? For all, for most people out there, that's going to be a really challenging high volume program. So, and, and people, uh, we did have people say, oh, well, I got, you know, I had tendonitis come up while I was on PH3. Or I had this come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, when you train hard, those things happen. And uh, this is some criticism I've gotten is people will say, well, look, you know, I'm dealing with lower back issue, uh, issue right now. I have a bulge disc as well as a herniated disc. Um, last year I had a hip injury as well as a herniated, two herniated discs in my neck. And people said, well, you, you see what happened. I said, well, yeah, but you forgot about the world record I set right. as well mm-hmm. as the silver medal at Worlds, yeah. you know? So if I, if I just wanted to look good and, and, um, and be pretty strong, then I would train a completely different way, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't I think, train like yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's a huge problem we have is we don't think about goals and we just yeah. see something. We don't assess our initial starting point. So it's yeah. like... Am I beginner, intermediate, or advanced? I don't really care. I want to do this program, well, and I'm going to do it. Those are fairly and, arbitrary categories, too. You don't know who. Well, right. Like, how do I assess that? Well, and you've then, got advanced. Even, you've got advanced people who make progress on low volume because right. they're genetically less. Yeah, you know? so but even like diet or whatever. I mean, as we discussed before, if you know what what is my goal? If it's just to lose a few pounds, I I don't think I should be doing a diet that a IFBB pro is doing two <laughs> weeks out from stepping on stage. Like uh, if that, if I'm going to see, they're going to post what their macros are two weeks before. And I see that on Instagram and I'm going to say, that's my starting diet. Yeah. That is setting me up for failure. Just like I would, if I was to say, this is my first day ever. And this is an extreme case, but first day ever in a gym, 
I'm going to do pH three. Yeah, like, well, a very extreme. Or, but, the, but I mean, you do see people in the gym every day who are probably saying, you know what? I feel good. I'm going to push it so hard today. Tomorrow, I don't feel good. I'm going to dial it back this much. Yeah, that's Whereas, when you do this. Yeah. Right. It's exactly. just that idea I, yeah, of how do, we, how do you get that kind of on a, yeah, just like kind of seeing all these like fancy shiny things and mm-hmm. being like, I want that. I want Squirrel. that. Yeah. And then not knowing like bring it back in. And how do I know what works for me? Yeah. And like you call it the and sniff test, and I love that. Test, is right. like, like, is this for real? Well, is that's why I like work? the concept for a program. of, of yeah. minimum effective yeah. dose. Yeah, right. Like that's why I like that. So gen, for Gen Pop, you like the minimum effective even dose, even for advanced athletes, because uh, I think max recoverable volume mm-hmm. and minimum effective dose are actually really close together. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they're really close together. Okay, but. Um, I know how the personalities are in the fitness industry and in bodybuilding and powerlifting. Mm-hmm. And if I say max recoverable volume, people are going to go ape shit, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I say minimum effective dose, they'll pull themselves back a little more. Now, th- that doesn't have to be static either. When I was four weeks out from Worlds and trying to peak, we were going for max recoverable volume. In fact, we were probably, oh, I was definitely overtrained heading into the last week. But that's, I mean, that's what elite athletes do is they overtrain purposefully and then they do a, a, a taper and they mm-hmm. have like a rubber band snapback effect mm-hmm. and you get some, you actualize gains as I call it. Um, but yeah, this is why I don't, I don't post like my macros that often mm-hmm. or my diet or my training. I'll post my training every once in a while and people will go, oh, well, what about this? this? And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is, this is mine. Mm-hmm. You don't have to copy it. Yeah. In fact, it probably shouldn't look like yours, mm-hmm. you know. That's the that's the that's the biggest thing is the individualization of, of things. Is you really, you know, and that, like I said, that was my really my major struggle with pH three, and why I'm so proud of Avatar is Avatar is basically nutrition that's personalized but automated, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and that was so I felt so comfortable with that. Especially now we've had over seven thousand members. Um, and it's really worked really well for about 99% of people. But with, with designing programming, mm-hmm. it's tough. You know, like there's a lot of inputs that you have to go into that. And, uh, you know, without knowing what somebody's, this is the same thing. Like I tell people, I need to know what you're eating right now. Mm-hmm. If I don't know what you're eating right now, I, I can't make recommendations for going on in the future. Same thing with training. If I don't know what you're doing right now, how am I going to make recommendations for moving forward? If I don't know what your current training status or volume is, because I could look at somebody who's really advanced to say, well, they must be on high volume. They might not be. They may be very genetically blessed and able to make progress with very minimal uh, minimal dose, mm-hmm. right? And so this is also the same thing with, um, with uh, looking at pro athletes or professionals and saying, well, I want to do that. Well, there's two situations. A lot of these guys are so genetically blessed, they don't have to train that. Mm-hmm. Not to... Most of them do train very hard, but some don't have to train that frequently or that high volume to make progress. And with regards to IFBB, drugs also come into play as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to up the volume, you up the dose. You know what I mean? No offense to anybody out there. I'm not saying they don't work hard. I I, know, I have friends who are IFBB pros mm-hmm. who are some of the hardest working guys I've ever been around and gals. So I am not trying to dismiss hard work by any stretch of the imagination. But it is a confounding variable, yeah. okay? Sure. And it doesn't mean that what they're doing applies to you. Right. In fact, I would because people will say, well, most IFBB pros train each body part once a week, and you're training like everything two, three, four times a week. I say, well, yeah, I'm natural, mm-hmm. okay? So they're going to have artificially elevated levels of muscle protein synthesis all the time. Right. 
the effect that training is going to have is going to be a drop in the bucket sometimes compared to that, right? Whereas this is this is what is going to be the impetus to change my body composition is training. And, and people want to say, well, you, steroids don't work without training. I'm sorry, that's not true. There are studies out there showing, they did a study where they took people, put them on steroids, training alone, or training plus steroids. The group doing steroids alone gained more muscle than the group training. Mm-hmm. Now the group that did training plus steroids obviously did even better, right? right? Mm-hmm. But that's 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 you know this is one of the I hear I, I hear this a lot. It's kind of a side tangent, but it drives me insane. People go, "Well, you have to actually train harder when you're on steroids." No, really? No. So steroids are somehow catabolic? Right. Oh, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So you guys are just so good, you're just trying to make it even tougher <laughs> on yourselves. That's what you're saying, right? It's like the people who argue that sumo deadlifting is somehow cheating. It's like no, if sumo deadlifting were inherently easier. Every single powerlifter, without exception, would do it. They're not purposely trying to make it harder on themselves, right? It's just that the people who are genetically predisposed to being very good deadlifters tend to be conventional pullers, Mm -hmm. actually. If you look at the data, um, most world record holders are doing that conventional. So, yeah, but that's another great example of what works for one person might not work for another person. And you can't... You know, same thing. It'd be the same thing of me trying to squat like Tom Platts. My squat form is very well known as me having a lot of forward lean because mm-hmm. of how my levers are put together. I have femur links of somebody who's about six foot two and I'm five ten. So I am mm-hmm. not how you would draw up a great squatter. I make it work because I'm really hard headed right. and I got <laughs> really I have I have very strong lumbar as well, a very strong posterior chain. But if you look at me in the bottom of the squat, I mean my back angle is about where you'd start a conventional deadlift, mm-hmm. you know? So, but there, there is telling me to try to squat like Tom Platts, where he's completely upright, is like telling uh, Chrissy to grow five inches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's not, not going to happen. We tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, I, I heard something else in there though too, implied in there about full body training versus this strict bro split. Bro sort split. Of. Yeah, this, this we uh, we had a piece from Charles Staley recently where he said you should you should be training basically full body until you hit the 300, 400, 500 on. Uh, bench squat deadlift, I think right. it was, and that, he said that's 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 the, the the benchmark he uses. What's the what, what 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 sort of benchmark would you say to someone like you know what, stay full body until this? I, I think I would disagree with Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you don't have to be full body. Uh, I, I, in fact, I think for beginners, I think that again you're going to need minimal training. I right. think training everything a couple times a week as a beginner is just helpful in that you are learning the movements. Like you, because people don't think about weightlift, weightlifting as a skill, but it's a skill. Mm-hmm. And so, I would say you have one day that's like a harder-ish day. Because if you're a beginner, you don't even need to train to failure. Mm-hmm. Like you just you're gonna get so many gains just from actually picking lifting things up. Weight. Yeah, lifting things up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chrissy knows we yeah. call these newbie gains. <laughs> yeah, right, sure. It's, well, awesome. and it's just it's movement practice too. Yeah. It's also why a lot of the studies use untrained yep. people mm-hmm. <laughs> because they positive sh- findings. Yes, they get they're easier to publish. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't negate those findings, right. but it just means in that population, yeah. that's what they found. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean the same thing. Yeah. But um, yes, you know, I, I think that now I think whole body training may have a benefit for people who are really crunched for time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe you do a, squ- a squat movement, um, a press movement and a pull movement. Mm-hmm. And that's your that's your day because you're hitting all your major muscle groups. Right. Even your biceps, triceps are all getting worked. Right. And you could do that in an hour. You do that three times a week. And that's maybe better than going in and doing one day where you're doing legs and one day where you're doing chest and shoulders and one day where you're doing back and arms, you know, like that might be better. Mm-hmm. And there's there's evidence that, 
you could take the same volume and spread it out over multiple sessions. And there seems to possibly be a benefit to that. It looks like, because we know with regards to protein intake, that there is an upper threshold where just pumping in more protein does not further increase anabolism. We think training is probably the same way, mm-hmm. but we don't know where that threshold is. And to be honest, it's probably different from person to person. So um, that will be something interesting in the future to see what the research shows on that. I know my friend uh, Bill Campbell, he has a graduate student named uh, Andres. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andres did a, 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 a recent uh, DUP study. Uh, that's daily undulating periodization for people who aren't familiar, which is what PH3 is based on. And um, they did it where they trained three days a week, mm-hmm. squat, bench, deadlift, or six days a week. And they cut the volume in half. And it was either four sets on each or two sets on each. And they found no differences in the outcome. Mm-hmm. There was no differences. Um, but the question becomes, okay, well, if you pump that up to eight sets versus four sets, would you find a difference? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe then you do because maybe then you're going over that cap with the eight sets, right? Whereas four is under that and you're still getting some benefits from spreading it out. So, you know, we don't know the answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. That's as Chrissy knows, when you do research, um, usually you'll answer one question and then and you get 10 others with it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to ask you about also is aside from thinking about just big programming, nutrition, there are also new techniques that come up all the time. And blood flow restriction training is one of them that you've done a video about with us. What's up, talked Jay? About <laughs> but but I, I wanted to uh, to ask you about that just because, you know, it it's not it's it's relatively new, you know, and you when you encountered it, you probably were a fairly experienced lifter, academic even at that point. How did how did you go about finding out number story. one, uh-huh. is it is it safe? Number two, is it legit? Is it appropriate for you? And then how do you use it? You know, like something new comes along. What's what? Yeah. What's the story of how it. So my little shout out there was to my friend, Dr. Jeremy Lineke. Hi, Jeremy. Who, who did, did his PhD same yes, time as yep, you in Oklahoma. We were at right? Oklahoma together. Uh, so Jeremy. sooner. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy is, what, what day is it? Saturday, he will be laying on his floor because uh, he believes that uh, laying on his floor actually gives the Oklahoma football yes, team a greater chance we, of winning. We usually start our texts back and forth um, about like. <laughs> Five ten minutes into mm. the game, um, and then it just continues I mean, on from there. It won yeah. the World Series for the Cubs yeah. for me. Uh, I was, I was and we, laying we on the do floor, our normal but... like, are you wearing what you wore last week? What did you do oh, differently? Jer- Jeremy, yeah. Jeremy's like, will be texting me, like, I I hate this. Yeah. I can't stand this. Why do I feel this way? Uh-huh. Like, why do I let something like this affect me so much? And, but, Quite possibly one of the most intense human beings. Jeremy is on, the most intense human being I've ever on, seen. On the earth. I, I could do a whole podcast just on Jeremy's stories. Who's This is a professor at Old Miss, yes. by the way. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Jeremy is the most intense and probably funny individual uh-huh. I've ever been yeah. around because mm-hmm. he deadpans everything. Yeah. But when I was a graduate student in 2007, uh, Jeremy was an intern in, is it intern the right? Uh, he was doing a, I think it was an internship in Dr. Kim Huey's lab at uh, Illinois, right across the street. And he trained at the same gym as me. And he knew me from the forums and we'd hung, we hung out a little bit and uh, we really got along well because I'm intense and he's like me times 10, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I had just got done reading like a 40 page meta analysis of hypertrophy, uh, training. And, as I was reading through it, there was this section on katsu training. Mm-hmm. And I kept reading this katsu training. And they're, they're, they are showing like measurable hypertrophy benefits in six weeks of this katsu training in trained individuals, which that's, that is very hard to show. It's very hard to show. 
And I'm thinking, damn, I want to try it. Well, what is what is this actually? Mm-hmm. Well, it ends up it's where they restrict not blood flow to the limb, but the venous return of blood to the heart, and using these cuffs, these specialized cuffs called katsu devices. All right, and this has been around for a while. Actually, right. I think it's been around since the 70s. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the research originally was done in Japan, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, well, how do I get my hands on these things? Well, it turns out these cuffs are like ten thousand dollars, right? So I'm like, all right, well, how can I replicate this? So the first thing I tried was like, you know, red exercise bands, and it didn't seem to do anything. And then the next thing I tried was like um, Velcro Harbinger belts. I tried that, you know, like cutting or uh, reducing blood flow uh, or blood flow restricting with those. We actually, they actually call it at the time occlusion training. Jeremy's really the one who was stickler about, no, it's blood flow yes, restriction, yeah. not occlusion. Yes. Um, that seemed to do a little bit better, and then I remembered uh, one day I was I was getting ready for a powerlifting meet, and I was training, and I was putting knee wraps on, and I, and I remember how pumped my calves would get. And I'm like, I thought about that fluid shift, and I thought, well, that's actually mm-hmm. that's actually pretty significant. I wonder if that would work. So I did that for quads. I started doing that, and it definitely seemed to cause a fluid shift, and, and some something was going on. Well, I was doing that one day in the gym. I think actually one of the first days I ever tried knee wraps for 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 legs. And uh, Jeremy came in. He's like, "What are you doing?" And I was telling him about the, I was telling him about the training. He's like, "That sounds stupid." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "I know, but like, look at this research." And I and gave look him, at this pump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he tried it. He tried it, and he was very intrigued. Well, he went and did a PhD on that. Now is a professor and has published mm-hmm. hundreds so of papers. Just he's a beast when it yep. comes to publications. And so I completely take cre- all credit for blood flow restriction <laughs> research. In I don't the recall United States. that being the question. <laughs> Well, you know, I have to, you know, I have to make it about me no, first, no, no, course, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was very interesting in that, you know, the first thing I thought about was, well, is this safe? You know, cause mm-hmm. you're talking about blood flow restriction. And so the way it works, we're not exactly sure of the mechanism, but it looks like there's something to do with metabolic byproduct accumulation as well as uh, fluid shift, the, the actual, um, swelling of the muscle cell. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be some kind of, uh, hypertrophy benefit um, and essentially what you're doing is you're not restricting arterial blood flow to the muscle but you're restricting the venous return and one of the cool things uh, actually was Jeremy was able to show to validate that knee wraps were actually a really good tool for blood flow restriction this meant the people at Katsu didn't really care for him very much because right. now very, it's very difficult to sell a $10,000 device for BFR when knee wraps will do the same thing. I actually got in a debate with the uh, head coach of the Texans, uh, Strength and Conditioning, on Twitter because he was criticizing me for using knee wraps. And I said, well, here's this study validating them. And he, they, and I looked on their page. Well, they bought the Katsu cuffs. And I'm yeah. like, I understand you have to validate the $10,000 you spent in your budget, but mm-hmm. I'm sorry, bro, you couldn't use knee wraps, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that was pretty cool. And... What it shows is that you get metabolic byproduct accumulation, you get a fluid shift, and we think that has something to do with how this is able to cause hypertrophy because you're using very light weights. Mm-hmm. You're using like 20, 30% of a one rep maximum. And um, there's, I love Dr. Stu Phillips, but one thing I'll disagree with him on is he said, well, you could do, you get the same benefits just from taking the same light weight to failure. That is, that is true. Mm-hmm. You can. But if I take somebody who's well-trained and put them on 20% of their one rep max, they will not be able to get failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, they will, but it will be a long time before they hit failure. Uh, whereas blood flow restriction will get you there much faster and it's just much more convenient and well, more and I fun. Was, 
telling Nick about, uh, I was talking to uh, one of my colleagues and they were doing um, some stuff on uh, low low weight to failure. And they had to send one of their subjects to the hospital because yeah, of rhabdo. rhabdo yeah. yeah. So I was like, that doesn't seem safe, mm-hmm. this whole And, and BFR actually to... causes very little muscle damage. Well, exactly. Well, and you're also not having to do, I think she had done 60 or 70 bicep or elbow flexion. Yeah. Because that's how long it took to go to failure. And I was like, that yeah. sounds miserable. Yeah, whereas you could have done 20 or 30 uh-huh. reps in right. BFR. And then 20 to 30, then 10 to 15 for three successive sets right. after that, right. you'd be good. Right. So, um, so for that, for that you know, moderately trained, not super advanced lifter out there who's just like, who, who thinks that, hears that and thinks, oh, you know, this is the magic arm technique. technique. Yeah, no, no, it's is not. That, is that free volume for them? Yeah, no, it's see, so it's not any better than lifting heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, right. the, the research shows very clearly that it's the same benefits as lifting okay. heavy for hypertrophy. I mm-hmm. hope everyone heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and, and actually <laughs> lifting heavy, you'll get stronger yeah. than you will with BFR because it's yeah. more specific. However, if you're somebody who's injured like I am right yep. now, or um, I think where it really shines is with injury, like mm-hmm. we were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually a case study, a guy who emailed Jeremy, who had th- he thought he had torn a uh, ligament in his knee and he was going to go get surgery on it. And he had been doing BFR and he was asked Jeremy if it was safe. And he's like, well, talk to your doctor, but you know, with the lightweight you're using, it's mm-hmm. probably fine. Well, when they went in, it wasn't a torn ligament in his knee. He had broken his femur. Hmm. And... The doctor actually, when he when he went to do, he goes, he's like, I'm not going to do surgery on you because this is already healed. Three, and it was three. He, he's like, what what did you do? And the guy was like, well, I did BFR for three weeks. <laughs> and the doctor was like, well, I don't know what the hell that is, but keep doing it, you know. <laughs> so that's just one case study we don't know, but there seem to be maybe some benefits for bone health as well. Hmm. I mean, people will say the safety thing. Mm-hmm. It sounds bad. You're restricting blood flow. In fact, Jeremy gave a he gives a, a speech at our camp every year, and it, it, the last year was fabulous because it was just him putting up quotes from people online, and then destroying them. Mm-hmm. And the first quote was, the title of his talk was, "Blood flow is good. You're an idiot." <laughs> Jeremy's Jeremy's like, you know, I wake up in the morning and I feel pretty good about myself, and then I read this. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I know blood flow is good. I know that. Don't you think we probably thought about that? You know, the second part we can debate, but you know, (laughs) I know blood flow is good, but think about what exercise does, right? So if we think that we're restricting blood flow, yes, the venous return. Okay. But short term, Mm -hmm. short term, we're doing it for a few minutes Mm -hmm. to actually cause like tissue necrosis or thrombosis or something like that. That is a sustained thing that happens. Mm -hmm. It's not a short term thing. And to cause tissue necrosis, necrosis, you would be in such pain, there is no way you would keep the wraps on for that long period mm-hmm. of time. Maybe there's some Navy SEAL out there who could do it, but everybody, they would take them off. Yeah. There's just no way. Well, but it's a good it's a good question to ask. Mm-hmm. And think about what exercise does in the short term. Raises your heart rate, raises your blood pressure, increases inflammation, increases reactive oxygen species. Um, all these things that if you just told somebody that, are negative, mm-hmm. right? If we just, if we didn't tell anybody, if somebody was completely ignorant about exercise, didn't know anything, but they knew about health, and we told them all the things that exercise did, they'd say, oh my God, that's terrible, don't do it, right? Mm-hmm. But what exercise is like a vaccine. It gives you a controlled dose of a stressor that allows your body to better handle that stressor. So what kind of inflammation is actually bad, for example? 
long-term, low-level, sustained inflammation, not short-term truncated. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the same thing when people say, well, I don't want to take leucine because it activates mTOR, and mTOR uh, has been associated with cancer. Right. There is a difference between eating a protein meal that has a short-term, acute, truncated response of mTOR versus a disrupted cell that is constantly sending a signal to the DNA to replicate. That is that's completely different. But we that's one thing even scientists are two things scientists aren't good at correlation versus causation. I hate that because they should mm-hmm. know that. And also short term versus long term. Mm-hmm. That we make a big deal out of short term stuff that may not even matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think my hypothesis would be that by restricting blood flow short term, you're actually improving blood flow. And there's some evidence to suggest that as well. In mm-hmm. fact, they took uh, astronauts have a lot of problems with, mm-hmm. with blood flow in space. And they, they did studies looking at not even resistance training, but just restricting blood flow for uh, in, like in a weightless a setting. Uh, I, it was either that or unloaded. Mm-hmm. So um, and showed like better blood flow. OK, in fact, this is one thing where, again, I'll disagree with Stu Phillips because there is something different going on with BFR because they showed one of the original studies on BF on BFR where they got interested in muscle growth was they just had people walk. Mm-hmm. Untrained people just walked under blood flow restriction and their legs grew. They got bigger. I'll say that again. Just from walking, their legs grew. Now, if I put BFR wraps on and try to walk, is my legs going to grow? No, I'm way too advanced for that. But in some, but let's say you can't do any training, like you're hurt, that sort of thing, that would attenuate muscle loss. Mm-hmm. Okay, or for somebody who's untrained, it will help you grow muscle. Okay, if they can't, if they can't train, mm-hmm. um, and even people who are bedridden, they put they did intermittent BFR mm-hmm. and showed that they retain more muscle than people who didn't. So there is something going on that's not just okay, train to failure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because if that was the case. We wouldn't see it because you can't walk to failure. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I guess you could, but it would be very difficult. <laughs> um, That's my workout after yeah. this. Actually. Yeah, exactly. So it seems to be, and, and and we've talked about. You know, I kind of brushed around the safety issue, but it seems to be very safe. I mean, the the there's been tens of thousands of subjects through these studies now, and the only study it was a case study. There's only one ever showing any kind of negative benefit to BFR. And it was a case study, so you can't even say it was BFR. Mm-hmm. But there was a hockey player who reported to a ER and he had rhabdomyolysis. And he said that he had played hockey and done uh, blood flow restriction training. At Here- the same time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think at the same time. <laughs> be so the problem I had with that study was at the end of it, when the doctors released him, they said, you're fine to continue what you were doing. If you think something actually caused rhabdomyolysis, if you're a doctor, why would you tell them they could keep doing right. it? Mm-hmm. Right. So that makes me think that they, rhabdo is actually one of those things that's overdiagnosed mm-hmm. uh, in the medical community. I had a client who, uh, his mother called me one day mm-hmm. and he was in the hospital and the doctors had said he had rhabdomyolysis. And I'm just like, this guy is somebody who trained for like six years and it didn't take a long break or anything like that. So for those who aren't familiar, rhabdomyolysis is usually an untrained people who try to go too hard um, you can break down so much muscle tissue that your kidneys cannot keep up with the excretion of the, the byproducts and it can actually shut your kidneys down and kill you. There's actually a few people every year who die from it. Um, usually there are either people who are untrained or the 
usually it's people who had trained previously who are who have a lot of willpower and stamina and are able to push themselves past where they probably should. And so actually this I think a couple of years ago there was a guy who'd been in the Navy and he hadn't trained in a long time and went in and did like a really hard CrossFit workout and ended up dying from rhabdo. So but this guy, his mother called me and said, he, you know, Connor's been diagnosed with rhabdo. You gave my son rhabdo. <laughs> no, no, she was very, she was very nice about it. But yeah, the first thing we went from around, so, well, here I go. I'm about to get sued, you know. Mm-hmm. But I actually wasn't doing his training. He was doing his own training. I was doing his nutrition. And I, I put him on the phone and I said, well, did you have like a really, really hard training, like way out of the ordinary? He's like, not really. I'm like, well, are you really sore? He's like, no. I'm like, do you have like a fever? Or are you like, like, like. Mm-hmm. peeing a lot you know like and he's like no and i was like well what's what was your symptom he's like well my stomach hurts i'm like okay so classic rhabdo yeah. his stomach or, hurt. or taking creatine because creatine <laughs> oh, also it gives you rhabdo, rhabdo. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, well and he I said okay well what was your blood work like and it turns out that his creatine kinase levels which is what they used to diagnose this were modestly elevated and i'm like i'm like listen i don't want to i'm not a physician but i don't think your son has rhabdo I was like, did you change anything in your diet, anything like that? He's like, well, I started taking a prebiotic. And I'm like, oh, you changed your gut flora. You just have gas. He told me, he called me three hours later. He farted three times and left the hospital. (laughs) He felt better. But it's like, how was I able to diagnose this guy from a thousand miles away? And the doctors missed this. You know, like it's unfortunate that, like I said, rhabdo gets overdiagnosed. Because if you look at somebody who weights trains, they're going to have elevated levels of creatine kinase because they're mm-hmm. breaking down muscle. It doesn't mean because it's outside the normal range that they have rhabdo. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I question that. That And even if that's the case, if let's say that guy really did have rhabdo from BFR, people get rhabdo from regular weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Why does that make BFR? If anything, BFR has been shown to be just as safe or more safe than regular weightlifting. Mm-hmm. So... The one caveat to that, as I'll say, is you need to you know watch my video on BFR training on bodybuilding.com. Right. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're, you know don't don't keep the wraps on for you know forty minutes right. on end after you do a cluster of four. Take them off and then you know do mm-hmm. them back up after you've had some chance to rest. You know, uh, and there's that finding that sweet spot of tightness. Is I feel like there's a there, you see a lot of yeah, wondering I mean, about if that. If you're talking about knee wraps, you're usually looking about a seven out of ten mm-hmm. tightness level. But the easy way to know is if you put if you're putting you know the way if you put it all if you put on what you think is twenty percent of your one rep max on whatever exercise you're doing and you can't get close to hitting the reps, either the weight's too heavy or the wraps are too tight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in pain before the exercise starts, the weight the, the wraps are too tight. Right. You know, you'll be in pain while the exercise is going on. Anybody who's done BFR knows it's, it's very painful. It is. Yeah, it's very painful. I did several studies at OU and yeah, uh, it is not comfortable. No, it, it's not. It's not. But It's bearable. That's the difference. Yes, it's, it's uncomfortable. Bearable. Think it's about bearable. the best pump you've ever had. Multiply it by twenty, and then realize it's going to be the worst pump you've ever had. <laughs> it's, it's, so, what's you're saying? That's the worst pump you've ever had. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, literally, when you know, you'll you'll see like the magazines like skin splitting pumps from. Right. The, no, no, this is this, you don't know about that skin splitting pump life until you've done BFR. Mm. Trust me. So, it's you know, I look at things as I don't think BFR is a magic tool. I, I think everything's tools in a toolbox. Right, mm-hmm. so I use my I use my screwdriver a lot more than I use my jackhammer, right? But I still got my jackhammer in my tool belt if I ever need it. Mm-hmm. Now I think BFR. I do a lot of BFR because, especially when I'm getting ready for powerlifting meets, because I still want to maintain like my arms and my some of my my aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, what little I have for you internet trolls. <laughs> uh, so I still want to maintain some of my aesthetics, bruh. So I I will do a lot of BFR 
Um, because at the end of the day, I'm just so beat up from squatting, benching, and deadlifting heavy all the time. I don't feel like doing heavy barbell curls mm -hmm. or you know triceps press downs or, or whatever it is. I want to do something light that I can get through really quick, pump a lot of volume in a short period of time, and get out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe that's maybe that's the the value of it then for that person out I think, there. It's I think like, also and also mm -hmm. for people who are injured, like mm -hmm. we talked about, because. Yeah. You know, a lot of times if you're injured, you can't do your normal training, but you can usually do 20% of a one rep max. I mean, usually you can do that. Uh, or if you're traveling, like in a hotel gym, you know, mm -hmm. they've only got 50-pound dumbbells. It goes yeah. up to 50-pound dumbbells. Well, now, Boy. for people who are really strong like me, 50-pound dumbbells, that's... God, that sounded bad, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You get to be I like mean, a me. Little bit. I would <laughs> never reach failure yeah. with 50 pounds. <laughs> I could never reach failure with 50-pound dumbbells. <laughs> you're weak and you should feel bad. Uh but you know, if you if you if you're in that situation where you're traveling, you don't have those options. Well, now you can actually get a really good workout in. Mm -hmm. um, and I've done this like on cruise ships, you know, where I, I took. Um, I don't use I don't use wraps for arms because it's too hard. Mm -hmm. Like you have to kind of pin your arm and right. you know, and the the cuff is actually too wide as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's evidence that the width of the cuff makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So I use what's called quick release medical tourniquets, and you have to really crank them down because the fabric is different, but crank them down to about a nine and a half out of 10 and they're really convenient. You can find them on, on online for like 12 bucks for a set of two. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's kind of what I use it for is, is when I'm traveling and those sorts of things mm -hmm. or, or when I'm injured or, uh, just don't feel like lifting heavy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I don't know how much time we have left, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more. Probably not much because I talk a lot. Well, we we hinted we hinted at the uh, at the paper that you've been wor that working on for all these years, but I wanted to yeah. um, get get the takeaway from that as well because it's um, about how much time protein. We got, we got, about, protein we got like an hour and a half left, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's Dan's you know like, yeah, no. <laughs> you know um, th thinking from the perspective of somebody who who thinks like God, you know, all those macros. There's there's three of them. I don't want to have to dial in all of them. This one just focuses in on on protein, three, basically protein Nick, pacing. You can dial in on oh, three. three. Oh, what I wanted to know is fat, if I you know. just if you if somebody is uh, they just focus on protein, basically according to those sorts of parameters, which, which you can discuss, um, and kind of let the chips fall where they may on the other two. Huh. Is well, that enough? There's evidence if you're going to focus on one, you probably should focus on protein because mm -hmm. if you're eating enough protein, you're more satiated. You're probably not going to go over overeat right. as much on carbs and fats. Um, but, I mean, basically the results of our study was when, when I got to Illinois, there was a lot of data out there on leucine in terms of, like, purified solutions. So they would give leucine and under certain conditions, they'd show an increased muscle protein synthesis. Mm -hmm. What we didn't know was did that actually make a difference in whole meals, right? Because that's a different question. And also, does it actually make a damn bit of difference on long-term body composition or muscle mass? Mm -hmm. Because you can, Chrissy knows this, you can show a lot of short-term stuff with markers and whatnot. And a lot of times in terms of what it does for long-term, it means absolutely nothing. So um, we had that question, like, does this actually matter? So we, um, we designed a study where, this is after a few studies before this that kind of built up to it, but to look at, okay, we're going to feed different sources of protein, same total protein content, mm -hmm. and even isocaloric. In fact, and this is why nobody was going to replicate this study anytime soon, we had 110 animals in the study. And again, yes, they were rats. Before you guys go out, I had somebody, I posted this on my Facebook fan page. People, oh, I stopped reading it, rats. Don't accept any medical help then, because all those studies started in rats too, mm -hmm. okay? So, but by the way, most of this stuff's been validated in humans since then. So... Rats are actually a really good model for protein metabolism. 
And I can get, guess what? Humans suck as test subjects. They really do. They, they don't really do what you want. Do. They don't know what you want. Rats will do what I want. They're you know, like, you're, here, this is what you're going to eat. You know? Mouth. Exactly. Don't show up. Oh, well, sorry. I forgot about the six. I know you were up at 440 in the morning, mm-hmm. but uh, I forgot that I had the appointment to come in and get my, my body comp done. I, how many times do you hear something like that? Like so The answer is to so. install a feeding tube in your room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it fits your tube. That's the next. No, what it should be is you just you hook up a tube and every time they eat off the planet gives them a shock yep. mm-hmm. you know just an electrical <laughs> shock you yeah. know i'm sure the irbs would be fine okay. with this you know <laughs> so so we, we 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 had 110 animals and we fed them three meals a day we, we taught them to meal feed uh so we didn't because a lot of problems with the studies out there is they just throw it in in their chow mm-hmm. and they just add libitum feed so they just kind of graze throughout the day well that's not the same thing as meal feeding and it affects protein metabolism differently as well so we had to meet three meals um like a Smallish breakfast, a mo- like a, a small to moderate breakfast and lunch, and then a, a good sized dinner, kind of like how Americans eat, and that was the idea. And we weighed out every single meal for every single animal for every single day for eleven weeks. That you're talking about three hundred and thirty meals a day mm-hmm. that you're weighing out, right? This is hours of our time every single day, mm-hmm. and so that's why we weren't worried about getting replicated right. anytime soon. So what we did was we took different protein sources like wheat, soy, egg, and whey. All right. So completely. So these diets are completely isocaloric, completely isonitrogenous. There's no difference. The only difference is the protein sources. And we were able to show that the animals fed uh, egg and whey actually had higher rates of muscle protein synthesis and actually had better body composition than the animals fed wheat. Now, soy had the same body composition as egg and whey in terms of body fat percentage, but they had way lower muscle mass. Hmm. Soy is weird. Soy has some weird, funky stuff going on. Like, I think soy is fine in moderation, but I think getting all your protein from soy is a really bad idea. Um, The isoflavones in there, there's some benefits to them, but there's also some downsides. And definitely with regards to muscle mass, I mean, across the board, the heaviest animal in the soy group was not bigger than the smallest animal in every other group. I mean, they were significantly smaller. Hmm. So now they also had, there's some benefits to blood glucose profiles, all that kind of stuff hmm. with soy because the isoflavones. But in terms of muscle mass, there was definitely a blunting effect of muscle mass on soy. Um, and I think some of the isoflavones have been shown to amp- activate AMP kinase and that can impede muscle protein synthesis, that sort of thing. Uh, wheat had about the same level of muscle mass of uh egg and soy, or I'm sorry, of egg and whey, but had way more body fat, way more body fat. And I think the reason the muscle mass was the same was because all those animals were heavier and they were just having to carry that around every right. day. If you look at obese people, they have a lot of muscle mass. They have more than average muscle mass mm-hmm. in obese people. And that's because they're car- they're just carrying around body more body weight. Right. Yeah. right, exactly. So, but in terms of composition and muscle mass, egg and whey were the best. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's with and it seemed to be reflected by the differences in leucine intakes. Now, uh, we also um we wanted to look at protein distribution because it's funny, as I was getting ready to write this last experiment, Dr. Lehman was like, you know, you talk a lot about protein distribution in your thesis here and you've never actually tested it. Mm-hmm. So you probably should test that or take out that wording. Ah, crap. Mm-hmm. So we took uh, the highest quality protein, whey, which whey was consistently the best in every single one of our studies, even if it wasn't statistically significant, the absolute number was the best. And we, what we did was we either had groups basically eat whey evenly distributed across three meals 
So they were getting about the same amount of protein across each meal, or at least a level that would trigger muscle protein synthesis versus low, low protein at breakfast and lunch, and then really high protein at dinner. So they were getting about 70% of protein at dinner and about 15% at breakfast and lunch. And actually, there's data from uh, a guy named DeCastro that shows that most Americans eat about 65% of their protein at dinner. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't too far outside that range. And so we fe- so that now you're talking about exact same calorie intake, exact same nitrogen intake. Only difference is how we distribute it, and we were able to show differences in muscle mass. Now, it wasn't a huge difference. Mm-hmm. It was only about 8 to 10%. But for somebody who's an elite athlete, that's a big difference. And so when people ask me, for example, about something like intermittent fasting, I will say, hey, I think it's fine for fat loss. Like the the data shows that meal frequency doesn't make a difference in fat loss. But if you're talking about muscle mass, I think it's probably not optimal, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what we're able to show with these experiments. That not only did the the quality of protein make a difference, the, the, the quantity of protein, the quality of protein, and how you distribute that protein makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So so the winner was spread evenly across the three meals as yes. of okay. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Now that being said, people will, this is where context is important. I've had people mm-hmm. who tell me, "Listen, I am able to be way more adherent to intermittent fasting than any other kind of diet I've ever done for whatever reason it just works for me." Right. Then, then you, fine, do that. Do right? yeah. Set your goals accordingly. What I, but what I'll right. say is, well, maybe what, what if we intermittently restrict carbs and fats? Cuz protein doesn't have the same effect. Pro, high protein diets, the effects they have on genes is very similar to actually just fasting to be honest with you. So I said, well, why not have a couple doses of just like protein only, have a shake or something? You know, if, you're, if your goal is to to have more muscle mass, mm-hmm. do that. And then, you know, you can put your carbs yeah. and fats all together in, in, in the kind of an intermittent fasting way. Um, and there's no reason that shouldn't work well either. But um, yeah, it's, it's funny how things don't always... Uh, some of the most interesting stuff in your research is stuff that didn't actually work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that we really did to, to try and kind of bring home, this was in a previous study, the story of leucine, was we took wheat, which is a low leucine protein. Mm-hmm. It's only about 68 to 7% leucine, whereas whey is like 11 to 12%. Carbon build is 13%. Hey-o. The highest leucine content out there. Pipology 101. <laughs> All right, just saying. 3.1 grams of leucine per serving. The high, like I said, there may be another protein out there that has a higher leucine intake. I'm not aware of it. Um, <laughs> but we we took wheat and we supplemented with free leucine to match the leucine content of whey, and we were able to show it was almost exactly the same response. So, But what was interesting was not only is protein important for muscle mass, but also fat loss because we found that... Um, even though wheat had the same muscle mass as egg and whey groups, they had more body fat. And we believe that's because they weren't getting that stimulus of muscle protein synthesis, which is ATP dependent, energetically dependent. And we mm-hmm. think that is actually a large portion of the thermogenic effect of protein. We know that there's a thermogenic effect of protein, a TEF, um, that's way more than carbs or fats. But people had always kind of thought it was maybe from digestion or the urea cycle. But it's not because you get all those ATPs back from the urea cycle. The body's very efficient with that. What it is is that it activates that feudal cycle of increasing muscle protein synthesis and increasing protein degradation. And that use of ATPs is thermogenic. And so it's really interesting how that works out. We were actually able to show that um, muscle protein synthesis is so powerful that it actually causes a drop in intramuscular ATP levels once you trigger it. So, and that 
in turn actually triggers AMP kinase, which truncates the signal of it muscle protein synthesis. How cool is that? I'm getting super nerdy out there. <laughs> Chrissy's over there like, yes, <laughs> tell me more. Nick's like, and on that <laughs> note, let's wrap it up. <laughs> but that actually causes a thermogenic effect because now AMP kinase activates all these systems that deal with fat loss. So not only is the quality and, and amount of protein important for muscle mass, but it's also important for fat loss and just overall body composition. Mm-hmm. So where you get your protein does matter. It does matter. Now, I will tell you that before everybody goes out and says they're just going to eat whey uh, for all their meals, mm-hmm. um, you can take a low-quality protein source and get the same response if you eat enough of it, okay? If you get to that leucine, that like three-gram leucine threshold, mm-hmm. Okay. The problem becomes the calor- your anabolic bang for your caloric buck, right? So whey is giving you such a powerful anabolic bang for your caloric buck, whereas if you're going to eat something like wheat, I mean, you're going to have to get like 50 grams of protein just mm-hmm. to hit that that three gram threshold, right? 50 grams of protein from wheat is going to be some food. It's going to be, it's going to be, mm-hmm. yeah. You might have more think than, like you cereal, might think you, you have I mean? like, at yeah, the end yeah. of it. It's just, yeah, your yeah. parts are going to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, again, that's where it's about context, mm-hmm. right? So, um uh, so, but you know, like an egg or chicken or something like that, like some animal source of protein, you know, you can still get it as good as whey, but you're going to require just a little bit more. And that's, you know, again, that's fine, but it's important to think about. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for coming down here and talking with us about all this. Uh, thanks for letting me geek yeah. out. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You, you can be found many different places online. Give us a couple of them. Yeah. So, my <laughs> website's the best things to find all things biolane mm-hmm. uh, biolane.com. Obviously, my section on bodybuilding.com is going to have all my articles. Um, Check out my supplement line, Carbon uh, by Lane Norton, as well as uh, for people looking for nutritional information out there uh, who aren't maybe ready to pay for a coach, uh, my website, avatarnutrition.com. Um, we're doing some some big things to it. Mm. Um, by the beginning of the year, we're going to have, I can't really say much yet, but we're going to have, I mean, we're going to, I believe it's going to have a million members within a few years. It's just going to be that revolutionary for and people. And that accessible. And that accessible. Mm-hmm. For $10 a month, mm-hmm. you're getting customized nutrition recommendations and we're going to we're actually taking that we're taking that way further yeah. um, so if you haven't checked that out yet go check it out um uh, play around with it uh we're going to have uh we're going to have some free stuff coming out in the future um and yeah i think that that's that's actually one of the things i'm most excited about in terms of my legacy is as a way for people who can't afford a coach a personal right. coach there'll always be a place for that right but um you know who can't afford ten dollars a month to get customized science-based nutritional training or nutrition advice great see you all next time all right thanks lane thank you guys If you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details.